1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Come in, Kronstein. I've planned for Spectre to steal from the Russians their new lecto-decoding machine. Neither the Russians nor the British will be aware that they are now working for us. You are sure this plan is foolproof? Yes, it is. Because I have anticipated every possible variation of counter move. Except for one thing. Now, Mr. Bond here. I've never even heard of a Tatiana Romanova. Of course, girls do fall in love with pictures of film stars. So you're Tatiana Romanova. You look just like your photograph. No, it's some sort of trap. And the bait is a cipher machine. If there's any chance of us getting a lector, we simply must look into it. Welcome to Istanbul. How is she going to get the machine over to us? She's leaving that to me. She'll do anything I say. Anything. My friend, she's got you dangling. That doesn't matter. All I want is that lector. Ordinary black leather case. On the side here, flat throwing knife. My orders are to kill you and deliver the lector. How I do, it's my business. Let his death be a particularly unpleasant and humiliating one. Tell me, which lunatic assignment did they get you out of? Take it easy, O7. My escape route's only for one. Life in Istanbul will never be the same without you. Splendid.
Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and I am joined by this week. I am joined this week by WGIG correspondent, New York Bureau Chief, and MI6 correspondent to Is It Yours, David Pascarella. Great to be here. Good to have you, Dave. Thanks for coming on again. Oh, thank you. So today we are continuing our journey through James Bond. You know, if, if you'll recall, we started a little circuitously because we started with uh, Goldfinger and then we did Never Say Never Again. And then we went back to the beginning and went to Diamonds Are Forever. I mean, excuse me, to Dr. No. Uh, so now we're at the second James Bond feature, which is From Russia With Love. What's your history with this movie, Dave? This one, I can't really remember if I... I know I didn't see it in the movies. I'm trying to, <laughs> to be honest, I think this one I saw later on, but it was one of those... I had got it in my head back in, I guess it was the late 80s, where I was buying them on a VHS cassette. And mm -hmm. I wanted to get the collection in order. So I had gotten Dr. No, which I had seen. And then the next one I knew was from Russia with Love. And I ordered it from the video store at that time. And it was one of those, you know, it's going to be $45. And it'll take like 8 to 12 weeks before it gets here. So I, I jumped in, ordered it, got it back. And then watch the hell out of those first two movies over and over and over. So that, that's my memory of where I saw it for the first time. Yeah, for some reason, this one eluded me for quite some time. Uh, I had, you know, if you, you know, we go to the, the advent of VHS in the early 80s. By then, I had seen, I guess, every Bond film except for this one and On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yep, that was me too. Now, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, there were rights issues with that. So kind of we understood why we weren't seeing that one. This one, I don't really know. I think this one just saw less time, you know, on the TV front. So eventually I, uh, I managed to see it on VHS as well. And I don't remember my first viewing of it. And I would say of, except for, the, you know, those two movies... Or actually, those two movies, I would say, were probably the two James Bond movies of the Sean Connery slash George Lazenby slash Roger Moore era that I've seen the least. Even yeah. with the advent of being able to see them. Well, I like I said, I had those first two VHS tapes and I watched them repeatedly, you know, in order. Because I only mm -hmm. had two. <laughs> so wasn't that difficult but into the modern era where i've got everything on dvd i never watched this movie right yeah i mean i i've rarely watched it now i i have found over the years hearing opinions and reviews of this movie that it seems to be one where you're getting diametrically opposed opinions there are a lot of people out there who feel like it's slow and plodding and really one of the lesser Bond films. And there are others who I've heard who think it's, you know, uh, layered and, uh, you know, with great performances and that it's one of the best Bond films. 
And I've heard mm-hmm. both opinions. I've very rarely heard pe- people say that it's kind of the middle of the pack. Nobody says it's all right. Yeah. And, I, well, that said, I'm going to jump out in front and say my opinion is kind of, it's all right. <laughs> I kind of feel the same way, to, to be blunt. I think we're pretty close on this one. And I'll say, like, one of the first issues I have with this one is I think the plot seems kind of, and this is almost, it's, it almost seems uh, ironic to say this about a Bond film, but it seems kind of convoluted. It's not really, I don't think it's one of the easier movies to follow uh, as far as the motivations and purposes of people. So I've gotten kind of out of it on the show, but I'm going to read the plot from Wikipedia for this one because it's a fairly long plot, and I think it bears an understanding. Yes, I agree. You have to read this one. So here we go. Seeking revenge against James Bond, Agent 007, for the death of their agent, Dr. No in Jamaica, international cr- criminal organization Spectre begins training agents to kill him. Irish assassin Donald Red Grant proves himself by quickly killing a Bond imposter with a garret concealed in his wristwatch. Spectre's chief planner, Czech chessmaster Kronstein, number five, devises a plan to play British and Soviet intelligence against each other to procure a lector cryptography device from the Soviets and lure Bond to his assassination. Spectre's chief executive, number one, puts Rosa Klebb, number three, a former Smirsh Soviet counterintelligence colonel in charge of the mission. Kleb chooses Grant to protect Bond until he acquires the Lector, then eliminate 007 and steal the machine for Spectre, to be eventually sold back to its legitimate owner. Kleb also recruits Tatania Romanova, a cipher clerk at the Soviet consulate in Istanbul, who believes Kleb is still working for Smirsch. In London, M informs Bond that Romanova has contacted Station T in Turkey, offering to defect with a top-secret lector on the condition that Bond handle her case personally. M decides the chance of obtaining a lector is worth the risk, and Q gives Bond an attaché case with a concealed throwing knife, gold sovereigns, a tear gas booby trap, and an Armalite AR-7 sniper rifle. In Istanbul, Bond meets station head Ali Karimbey, tailed by Bulgarian agents working for Russia, who are themselves tailed by Grant. He kills one agent and dumps their car outside the Soviet consulate. The Soviets bomb Karim's office with a limpet mine, but he is away from his desk with his mistress. He and Bond spy on the Soviet consulate meeting through a periscope in the aqueduct beneath Istanbul and learn that Soviet agent Krilenku is responsible for the bombing. Karim and Bond lay low at a rural gypsy settlement where Krilenku attacks them with a band of Bulgarians. Bond is saved by a sniper shot from Grant. Bond and Karim track down Krilenku and Karim kills him with Bond's rifle. So we're halfway through the plot now. I'm going to go get a drink. Anyone at home wants to help themselves. Now might be a good time. <laughs> Bond finds Romanova in his hotel suite, and they have sex. Neither aware Spectre is filming them. Romanova brings the consulate hey, hey, floor plans. Hey, wouldn't be that the uh, original, like, uh, Pamela Anderson, uh, Tommy yeah, Lee exactly. thing, right? Okay. 
An eight millimeter. Exactly what I was just thinking. (laughs) Romanova brings the consulate floor plans to the Hagia Sophia, and Grant kills the other Bulgarian to ensure Bond receives them. Using the plans, Bond and Karim steal the lector and escape with Romanova aboard the Orient Express. Karim and Bond subdue a Soviet security officer named Benz, tailing them. Grant kills Karim and Benz, preventing Bond from rendezvousing with one of Karim's men. At the Belgrade station, Bond passes word of Karim Bey's death to his son and asks for an agent from Station Y to meet him at Zagreb. Grant kills Nash, sent from Station Y, and poses as the agent. After drugging Romanova at dinner, Grant overpowers Bond, taunting him that Romanova believed she was working for Mother Russia, and reveals his plan to leave the compromising film of Bond and Romanova with a blackmail letter, staging their deaths as a murder-suicide to scandalize the British intelligence community. Bond tricks Grant into setting off the booby trap in his attaché case and stabs him with the concealed knife before strangling him with his own garrot and flees with Romanova in Grant's getaway truck. Number one confronts Kleb and Kronstein for their failure. Kronstein is executed by the henchman Morazani's poison-tipped switchblade in his shoe, while Kleb is given one last chance to acquire the lector, which they have arranged to sell back to the Russians. Following Grant's escape route, Bond destroys a Spectre helicopter, and he and Romanova steal Grant's boat on the Dalmatian coast. Pursued by Morezny's squadron of Spectre powerboats, Bond detonates his own powerboat's fuel drums with a flare gun, engulfing the pursuers in a sea of flames. He and Romanova reach a hotel in Venice, where they're attacked by Kleb, disguised as a maid. She tries to kick Bond with the poisoned switchblade shoe, but Romanova shoots her. Their mission accomplished, Bond and Romanova depart on a romantic boat ride, and Bond throws Grant's blackmail film into the canal. Roll credits, and James Bond will be back. That actually is a fairly good synopsis, because it makes sense in the way it's presented. When you're watching the movie, I think you start to like kind of lose track of it. And like I said, there's a little bit of irony to that, because I've kind of always felt when I watch Bond movies, ever since I was young... That a lot of times you just kind of got you have to go where the film takes you, and right. not worry so much about the internal logic because if you start getting bogged down with the logic, you're gonna you're gonna be like three scenes behind trying to figure out why they're doing what they're doing. Right, right. I'm still trying to figure out what the point was. I get um, this stealing the lector and blackmailing that, but the whole Bond porno film thing. Yeah, it became very. It, it seems like it's a simple plan made complex, for for reasons of drama more than uh, than actual plot. Right. Right. So I mean, the movie opens, and and I, you know, we recently had this discussion. Bill and I on Back to the Bins discussed a uh, Captain America book, where the villain dressed up somebody as Captain America and then hunted him down. Uh, and and I you know I commented I I made reference to this movie then and I'll make reference to that comic book now, putting somebody in a James Bond mask doesn't make him James Bond. So just because you're able to kill a guy that's wearing a James Bond mask doesn't necessarily prove your ability to kill James Bond. Right. So like that whole exercise just seems stupid to me. I mean you could get any nudnik 
who couldn't run from here to the corner. Oh, look, I could kill James Bond. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, and and if the guy is a worthwhile opponent, then it then he doesn't need the mask. If you're doing, you know, the the what is it, the deadliest game where you're chasing this guy down, I don't really see the point of putting him in a James Bond mask. Unless unless the only the only reason I can come up with is your assassin is not as familiar with him and you want him to become very, very familiar with this look so that when the real thing comes along he's seen it so much. I mean it's I a think... it's a great mask because he really looks a hell of a lot like Sean Connery until they pull it off. And he has a mustache underneath. <laughs> It's like never, how could you it's like uh, Henry Cavill, like Cavill. Oh my God! Yes. So then, then, then you know, we we get by the credits and and we get to the chess uh, match. And I I remember as a kid they had the uh, the what's his name uh, Fisher against uh, Bobby Fisher. Yeah, Bobby Fisher was fighting uh, Boris Spatsky, something like that. Mm. I said fighting, playing in chess. Uh, Fight might have been more exciting. There was, but there was a, you know, there was a big national uh, bragging right thing going on with that. I don't know if they actually had people in a room to watch the match the way they do here, but it seems like you might as well say, "Come on over and watch paint dry." (laughs) Yeah, it would have been better. It would have been better if they had the people in the costumes and having them walk around the board, knocking each other over. So, you know, I, I think I've started off by hitting on some of the negatives here, the convoluted plot, the convoluted uh, scheme that they came up with, uh, just, just that whole thing with the uh, killer and then and then the, the chess match. Uh, any other negatives that jump out at you as you watch this? Yes. Where shall I begin? Go ahead. And we'll talk some positives after this, because let's, you know, let's be fair. Yes, we're always balanced. The uh, I get the gimmick of the switchblade in the shoe. And yes, it's if you're going to walk up behind someone like when they uh, he kills off. Was it number two? Is it number two? The chess I think player. Dr. No was number two. The, the chess player is number chess player is number five. Number five. When he gets knocked up. OK, that makes sense. The Rosa Kleb thing at the end where that's her weapon. Yeah, I, I don't know. I found that almost charmingly silly. I, I, I mean, it'd be like Freddy Krueger having a thing on his feet instead of his hands. and He's got to hop over to get you. And, and retroactively, I think of uh, Austin Powers. You know, who attacks with a shoe? <laughs> right. And it's funny because who attacks with a shoe? <laughs> yeah, you got a point. Uh, I'm going to balance that with saying I just, I don't know, I love the character of, of Rosa Klebb. She she reminds me in her own way, if you remember, uh, Nancy, what's, I can't think of what her last name is. The the one who played Rhoda's mother. Yes, I know. And she was on all those commercials for Bounty or something. That's who she reminds me of. So I, I don't know, there's something about her that just makes me smile. And, yeah, and, it's that look. Mm-hmm. And and I thought, uh, you know, that that I thought we had a good villain in this one. You know, I thought she she was pretty cool. I liked the setting up number one with the cat on his lap, and and I enjoyed uh, what's it, Red Grant. I think yes. you know, and and I didn't even mind the scheme of him pretending to be friends with Bond, kind of. 
Right. Uh, you know, I thought that was that was interesting. You know, you got to I guess we got to keep in mind that a lot of stuff that has become cliche since this movie uh, was not cliche when this movie came out. Well, you know, the thing what I think brings this movie down and it's not a, a, a fault of the movie at all. It's we've seen everything that's to come. And you're expecting a certain, I want to say, technological aspect to it. Okay, and, and that, that, that's a perfect segue to bring us over to the introduction of one of the greatest Bond characters, Q. Oh, absolutely. Who comes into this movie for the free. He was not in Dr. No, but he's in this one. And he's giving him his gadgets. And as you were just alluding to, the gadgets are underwhelming. And I wonder in 1963 if they were still underwhelming then. Maybe they weren't. I, You know, I think if you made this movie in, say, 1948 or late 40s, and it wasn't James Bond, it was just some spy epic, it would have been cutting edge. Wow, look at this. this is, look at this briefcase he's got. But I think we're so used to the car with the ejector seat, you know, uh, the jet pack. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't uh, pop. And yeah, I think I it's off fault. The, you know, the, the, what do we have? We have the suitcase that if you open it wrong, it's going to blow up on you. Right. And they're very dramatic. And now you do it, Bond. You know, you open it up and <laughs> to, they have the, like the, this. They hit boom. <laughs> They have the hidden the hidden knife, uh, cougarans. <laughs> right, right. The was sniper's the, rifle. The sniper rifle. And that's about it, right? Isn't is there anything else in there? I mean, unless oh, they, you want to count the the periscope that they installed in the tunnel prior to the movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're not we're not getting the level of uh, weapon sophistication that we're going to eventually become. Uh, you know, that are going to become kind of a staple of the movies but i mean really if you think about it it's a step up from dr no yeah dr no all we had was the gun really right here's your gun good luck you have a good time <laughs> no 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 <laughs> and not we that have a gun. Guy, and we have a geiger county here yeah so yeah the, you know the, this is again you know the things that have become cliche were not at the time this came out so would we have been impressed by this weaponry when this movie was new or not, I'm not sure. But in, you know, in our current day and age, we're not. Right. There's not too much we can do about that. But again, we did get uh, the introduction of Q, and that's cool. Q is very cool. He's always been. Did you ever see the interview with uh, the actor? Where Desmond he's saying when he Yes. When he no, got the, uh, the job. No, what, he, did, what, what did he have he was, to say? He was like, oh, you know, so this is James Bond. You know, I'm supposed to, like, wow, I can't wait to be with him. And they're like, no, you can't stand him. What do you mean? He's James Bond. <laughs> he says, well, he has no respect for, you know, your gadgets. and the, So you have nothing but disdain for him. Do He's like, I was ready to play. Bond. Wow, this is Bond. I think... When they eventually have a different cue, I think he did have that level of being impressed by Bond. Didn't he? I'm trying to remember. Well, you know what? We'll get there. Right. So, 
who else do we have in this movie? I mean, I, in Doctor No, we never saw the villain with the cat on his lap, did we? No. 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 So this is the first we get of that. And I guess that, that is supposed to be Blofeld, is it not? Yes, it is. I, I mean, I believe it is, right? I mean, I can only imagine. They never actually say in this, but, uh, you know, eventually we get Blofeld sitting there with a cat on his lap. So I can't think of all these... All the Spectre leaders are... Uh, actually, no, it does say... Uh, just looking at... Uh, at uh, What do you call it? Uh, with the Wikipedia page. And they do. it says, Anthony Dawson as Ernst Stavro Blofeld. Number one of Spectre and Bond's nemesis. Credited as question mark. <laughs> so it is, it is Blofeld. So that's our first taste of him. And, uh, yeah, he's just a cold behind-the-scenes leader. I, you know, it's it's... You think about like your other exposure to this type of storyline, and and I think of uh, you know again you know we're coming into this this has all been established already, so along the same lines I'm reading you know Nick Fury agent of Shield, and he's facing off against Hydra and they have you know a similar type of operation as far as you know the leaders and all of that and. The, and, and it's just just I think if I remember right, the 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 number one in Hydra has like a panther on a leash. <laughs> I think you're right. So, so you know, there's. I, I guess it depends on your your level of taste and what you look for in a movie. We don't really have much in the way of spectacularly choreographed fight scenes. I mean, there's a little bit. A lot of the fight scenes or a lot of the action sequences in this movie seem to be more over the top as far as the number of people involved in the battle as opposed to, uh, you know, a one-on-one carefully choreographed fight. Well, I think the whole gypsy can't entanglement fight it seemed almost like, well, we need some action in the middle of the movie. Yes. I I, I don't think it was essential to, to the plot of the movie. No, and plus we got to, you know, they got to put in a girl fight. There is a little bit of a sexual uh, overlay in this movie between the girl fight and the, uh, you know, the, the sex tape and all of that stuff. Well, well correct me if I'm wrong. The whole purpose of this girl fight was one of them was supposed to marry the chief's daughter, correct? I mean, uh, son. Yes. So now, so. think about this for a moment. Bond gets to spend the night with the two of them, and he decides who gets to marry the son's chief. <laughs> I mean, the chief's son. I, I don't think I want either one of them if I'm the chief's son now, to be honest with you. Yeah, but I'll hang out and watch the fight, because that's cool. <laughs> so I'm trying to think of, you know, I I, I watched through this. I did like, uh, I'm trying to remember, the, the uh, what's him, Karim Bay. Uh, oh, he's very likable. And, and it, you know, this character is interesting. Everybody that comes along, oh, that's one of my sons. That's another one of my sons. That's another, it's like the only, you know, the only people who he trusts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I believe, I looked it up. I think he actually does have on the wall and the, he has on his desk a picture of Winston Churchill. 
Hmm. Which I found interesting. Yeah, I, I think that is interesting to, you know, because we're dealing with, you know, you got to keep in mind we're in the middle of the Cold War, basically, when this, or we're, yeah, right, kind of even early in the Cold War. So it's, it's an interesting time for little messages that you're going to have in the backgrounds of scenes. Oh, I like that Sylvia Trench was in it, in the opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a nice callback. I think it would have been cool to bring her back in every picture. You know, like Money Penny. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think Money Penny serves that role, so they don't need to do that. Uh, what do you think of Sean Connery's performance in this one? I thought it was good. Uh, I don't think he played it tongue-in-cheek at all. No, I don't think so. I think he... I, I kind of felt like he is starting but hasn't quite got there yet to develop the swagger that eventually he takes to the role. Right. I think you see it a lot more in uh, in Goldfinger. Oh, he's got that's, a lot better quips in Goldfinger. Yeah, so that's kind of where he... I, I feel like that's where, where we really establish everything from the Bond franchise perspective. That's where we we, we, we get the villain... You know, the extremely memorable villain. Although, you know what, I'm going to take that back because I think the villains in both of the first two movies are memorable. Uh, but we get the, you know, the, the over-the-top action sequences and we get more of a quippy James Bond without necessarily being totally comedic where we kind of do go a little bit further in, in years to come. Uh, and we get the gadgets. We get the car that, that you know, just brought everybody's imagination to the front uh, that we, you know, we haven't seen that stuff yet. And I think we're right. going to see it next movie. And, and then it becomes the bond staple at that point. Right. Right. I mean, so, the extent of uh, the quip and the quips in this were uh, uh, after he kills Rosa Klepp, she had her kicks. And when he uh, shoots the guy coming out of the uh, apartment, where it's the Bob Hope movie is the poster on the wall. Mm-hmm. He says, oh, she should have kept her mouth shut. Yeah, no, not, not, not really great ones. Yeah. But, you know, eventually we get there. So this this is more of a down-to-earth spy movie of the era, right. although I think it is lay, laying groundwork for what we're going to get in the future. So... It's, yeah, like it's I said, difficult. I think it's our expectations. It's our expectations, I think, that are bringing it down slightly. Yeah, that's and that, that's exactly where I was going to go. I was going to say it's difficult, but I think you kind of have to try to view this from the perspective of what if they didn't do the stuff? And, you know, you hadn't seen any of the stuff that's to come. And it's very hard to do that. And I, I kind of wish we had done what we're doing from the start and we hadn't already done, gone over Goldfinger and we would have been able to kind of plot the progression a little better. Right. But, you know, we are where we are. So, you know, I guess we're going you know, to have a relatively short review of this one unless you have any other things that jump out at you. Uh, I'm just looking over my notes. Uh, one second. Well, I guess, you know, looking here, I, I, I mean... To us, it's nothing. But at the time, 
Bond does have a pager, and he's got a car phone, mm. which which I'm getting, you know, for us, it's not a big deal. But I think in, what was it, 63 when they made this? Mm-hmm. I would say, I guess that's a, a big deal. You have to give them credit. They did get the title of the movie in the film when he autographs the picture from yeah. Russia with Love. Uh, I think that's really about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have any other spectacular notes. <laughs> Me neither. And and I, you know, just pulling back the curtain a little bit, uh, Dave and I have been talking about doing this review for quite some time. And, you know, circumstances keep getting in the way. Uh, so I've actually watched this movie three different times in preparation to, to do this show over the course of several months. Uh, and frankly, it's, it's, a, it's never been a bad experience to watch it. I still enjoy watching it. It's still James Bond. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, I walk away without a lot to say about it, is the bottom line. Right. So... That said, how are you going to rate this one? Uh, I would have to give it a very high Jaws 3 or a very low Jaws 2. Yeah, I was kind of thinking of almost exactly that description. (laughs) So it's like you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, it's, It's enjoyable. There's nothing about it that keeps me from saying that it's a movie that you could sit down and you'll enjoy watching it. However, there's very little about it that makes me think, oh, let me put this one on because I really want to watch it again. The only times I seem to feel a need to watch it is, you know, for the, to review for the show, or uh, there have been occasions where I've said, you know what, I'm going to start at Dr. No and work my way through the Bond right. library. But I don't remember, other than the very first time I watched it, I don't remember ever having the feeling of, I'd really like to watch from Russia, Russia with Love right now. Right. So you're let not me pull bring, that out and put it on. You're not going to bring your kid in who's never seen a Bond movie and go, hey, watch this one. This will yeah. get you into it. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I don't know that it necessarily turns somebody off to Bond, but it's certainly not going to be, I, I don't think it's going to be the movie that's going to make them you know, decide to watch it. And just watch when I post this episode, somebody will put on the uh, Facebook page, this is my favorite Bond movie. Because you know what? Every every Bond movie is somebody's favorite. I think President Kennedy, was. A, I read somewhere, was a big fan of, I think it's the book. Yeah, and you got to keep that in mind, too. When these movies were coming out, they were also coming out with, uh, you know, the, the, the books were still coming out by uh, Ian Fleming. So, you know, this this was much more contemporaneous with that. I read the book, you know, a thousand years ago when I was in high school, big into Bond. And I'm pretty sure, I, I don't want to swear to it, but I'm pretty sure Spectres, I don't even think they're in the book. I think it's uh, Smirsh. They're the villains. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit from the Wikipedia page. Ian Fleming's novel was a Cold War thriller, but producers replaced the Soviet undercover agency Smirsh, Smirsh 
with the criminal syndicate Spectre so as to avoid controversial political overtones. The Spectre training grounds were inspired by the film Spartacus. The original screenwriter was Len Deaton, who accompanied Harry Saltzman, Sid Kane, and Terence Young to Istanbul, but he was replaced because of lack of progress. Thus, two of Dr. No's writers, Johanna Harwood and Richard Maybaum, returned for the second film of the series. Some sources state Harwood was credited for the adaptation, mostly for her suggestions, which were carried over into Maybaum's script. Harwood stated in an interview for Cinema Retro that she had been a screenwriter of several of Harry Saltzman's projects, but her screenplay for From Russia With Love had followed Fleming's novel closely, but she left the series due to what Terence Young's due to what she called Terence Young's constant rewriting of her screenplay with ideas that were not in the original Fleming work. So, mm. they, you know, they, they are definitely saying, I guess there was an original effort to be true to the movie, to be true to the book, but that that, that effort kind of went by the wayside as time went on. Right, right. You know, little, little by think, little that just got swept under the carpet. But I do believe the story is somewhat closer to the movie than than a lot of the, the books and movies are well i think later we get to a point where you see uh movies that are they're fleming fleming's works in title only <laughs> <laughs> i could tell you right now the spy who loved me when we get there they took the title and that was it yeah now, you know, I'm going to get jump ahead of myself and say that is one of my favorite Bond movies. So Me too. Well, you know, it's not necessarily a, a negative reflection that it didn't stay true to the uh, Fleming work. But just the same, you know, that that is the original source material, so it's worth commenting on. So I guess that'll do it for From Russia With Love. Uh, we've already done Goldfinger, so if you go back in the... Uh, is it yours library? You can find that review if you want to hear us talk about that one. That's the first Bond film we've we did at all. Uh, so next time out that we cover a Bond film, it'll be Thunderball. Yes. So Dave um, will be back. I will return with Thunderball. And unless you return for something else before that, but but we <laughs> know you'll be back possible. for Thunderball. Uh, Dave, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's always a blast. Have a good one. You Everybody, too. thank you for listening in. See you in two weeks. Miss Moneypenny, ask the equipment officer to come in, please. Q Branch has put together a smart-looking piece of luggage for us. We're issuing this to all double-O personnel. An ordinary black leather case with 20 rounds of ammunition here and here. Now, if you take the top off, you'll find the ammunition inside. On the side here, flat throwing knife. Press that button there, now she comes. Inside the case, you'll find an AR-7 folding sniper's rifle, 0.25 caliber, with an infrared telescopic sight. Then, if you pull out these straps, inside are 50 gold sovereigns. 25 in either side. Now watch very carefully. An ordinary tin of talcum powder. Inside a tear gas cartridge. That goes in the case against the side here like that. It's magnetized so it won't fall. 
Shut the case. Now, normally, to open a case like that, you move the catches to the side. If you do, the cartridge will explode in your face. Now, to stop the cartridge exploding, turn the catches horizontally, like that. Then, open normally. Now, you try it. Mm. Turn the catches like that. That's right. And open ordinarily. You got it? Yes, I think so. Is that all, sir? Yes, thanks very much. Right. John? Yeah, that's a nasty little Christmas present. But I shouldn't think I need it on this assignment, sir. All the same, take it with you. Good luck, 007. Thank you, sir. <laughs>